Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. If you listened to last week's episode of the show, you heard my interview with Andy Schell and Mia Carlson aboard their 59-foot swan, Ice Bear. Well, just before we recorded that interview, Andy interviewed me and my wife, Lauren Keene, for his podcast, On the Wind. And I'm sure more than a few of you heard it a couple of weeks ago when Andy posted it. But I thought I'd also share it here, because if you haven't heard it, it gives a nice picture of me, my wife, our sailing experience, and our thoughts about our future sailing as a family. So, here it is. Enjoy part two of the Ice Bear Interviews. So, um, Lauren, I'll put you on the spot, and I always start the podcast by asking the guest to describe the setting. So if you would do the honors for us, please. We are uh, down below on Ice Bear. Uh, there's six of us here seated at the salon, the big table. Um, it's a glorious blue sky afternoon day in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, where we just arrived after our 805-mile passage from Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, it's warm, we're in t-shirts, and we just had a lovely afternoon wandering around town. And cheers, we just opened a bottle of wine. So, cheers. Uh, cheers. I'll add that we've got uh, Ruslan and Mark here uh, as our live studio audience. So thank you guys for, for joining us. Absolutely. Um, Lauren, I'm going to keep you on the spot here. You did this trip with us as sort of uh, testing the waters. Um, first impressions? Adventure, <laughs> which is just what I was hoping for. Uh, I was telling Ben it's not, we have two little kids at home and it's not often in this chapter of life that we get to feel like, uh, like we're young and adventurous like we used to feel <laughs> pre-kids and, uh, and man, being out in the middle of an ocean on, on what felt to me like decent sized waves with decent wind, um, with a bunch of really interesting and exciting people was, was it's not often you get to do something that feels really new, I think, at this stage of life and, uh, just what I was hoping for. Did you have expectations coming in? I just wanted to understand what it was like. I have spent so many years being married to Mr. Ben here, um, listening to him describe this way of traveling, this way of life, and uh, with such a reverence in his voice about it. And um, I really wanted to understand for myself what that what that meant. So I had expectations mostly of just being open to whatever it was and trying to experience everything as much as I could without judgment and without, uh, uh, yeah, without judgment. And uh, I, I got that. So the obvious follow-up then is, did, was it what you expected? <laughs> uh, mostly. Um, I was, uh, I would say the things that weren't what I expected were small. Like I. I didn't think about what it would mean to be on a watch schedule where you didn't get more than four and a half or five hours of sleep at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, that's fine for five or six days, but I can imagine on a longer passage that being much tougher for me. It's actually easier. Is it? Yeah. I, I think it's easier the longer you go because cool. you just have more time to adapt. Mm -hmm. And I think we we all said, you know, I always said day three. It, doesn't, it takes till day three till I start feeling like myself. Mm -hmm. You guys and the crew all... Met, followed that same pattern all the seasickness disappeared it was a little bit to do with the weather but i think it was that was more of a coincidence than anything else because it takes time to adapt and i think ironic i think 
it's counterintuitive because I agree with what you just said, but I think in reality, it's actually easier the longer that hmm. you go because you just adapt. You can fall asleep much quicker. So you're six hours off. You're getting five and a half hours of sleep instead yeah. of laying there staring at the ceiling yeah. for a while. Um, so. so I asked you this question at lunch and you were talking about something else that surprised you with the head. <laughs> uh, There's always a toilet story. Uh, Ben's boat has a pump out head. Um, what which, do you mean? Like the uh, hand, so there's hand a hand. Pump. There's yeah, yeah. yeah, I guess they're all pump out. Uh, it has a, h- a handle that you manually pump to bring water in and then take water and waste out. Uh, and I've used it probably a hundred times, and I'm still flummoxed by the idea. <laughs> just never sure whether I'm doing it correctly. <laughs> uh, and I, it was just like far more comforting than I would have expected to just be able to push a button and get the job done. <laughs> well, little things I would never have expected to care about, but I you guess. lucked out because as soon as we get back to Annapolis, those electric toilets are going to be replaced by the flummoxing hand That's pump toilet. Day. In the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, well, Maybe that that solved itself. There's always a toilet story. Good yeah. lord, I got to do. I'm going to do a whole season of the other podcast on toilet <laughs> stories. So, uh, so, so, Lauren, um, Mia never sailed before we met. Was that the same situation as you? Had you sailed at all before you met Ben? Very little. Yeah. I, I did a, a week of sailing summer camp on the San Francisco Bay when I was eight or something. But for practical purposes, no, I didn't really know anything about it. But you're it. an outdoor person. like you Very much. And, and what under like what circumstances? Am I an outdoor person? Yeah. Uh, I consider myself a pretty serious backpacker. I love being way out in the middle of nowhere for extended periods of time, being reverent toward the mountains and... Um, I like relying on myself. I like uh, the idea that you prepare for uh, an adventure and, you know, once you get out there, you have what you have and you have to make the most of it and be resourceful. So I've always made those comparisons that basically we're just luxury backpacking on a on a sailboat. You're climbing in your backpack instead of carrying it on your back. Um, but I, I haven't done a lot of serious backpacking myself. So is, is that, would you say that's an accurate comparison? I... Yeah, I, I see those parallels a lot more now. Ben had mentioned them, but I, I see them a lot more now. Um, I guess some of the differences... Um, food's similar, actually, but better. <laughs> you just you have more, have more tools to at your disposal. But, you know, good, hearty, one-pot meals at the end of the day and like, basic, good food for breakfast and lunch. Like That was really comforting to me, actually, because it felt very similar to like what I take up into the mountains. Um, uh there's a real sense of teamwork on a boat that mm-hmm. you don't, I mean, you get on like a mountaineering expedition where you're on a rope team, but you don't get on a like extended hiking trip, I think. I loved that about our last week. Like I got to know all of you pretty well. And um, when you're all trying to change the sails in the middle of the night in some good weather, like there's a real bonding that happens there that, good meaning, that bad I really weather. loved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in some serious weather. Yeah. Uh, so that that's different, but yeah, I, I I like that parallel a lot. I wouldn't have expected it. I wouldn't have looked at this boat and said, "Oh yeah, this is going to be a lot like backpacking. This is going to be feel familiar." But there are a lot of things that did. Yeah, as an aside, I think that's the biggest sort of uh, unrealistic expectation that a lot of people that go out cruising is they try to make their boats too much like their homes, and you can never meet that expectation. You'll never make it as comfortable as your house, and. When you're trying to do that, all you're accomplishing is making it more complicated and more difficult to maintain, and thereby introducing more frustrations down the line. So if you just think of it as a luxury backpacking, 
then it's going to be like, whoa, this is way more comfortable than yeah. backpacking. So you cha- you're, you, you're in one sense lowering the bar to make it more realistic and then, and then more easily attainable to exceed those expectations is how I've looked at it. You know, our biggest challenge with this new boat is taking it from a luxury cruising boat to now an expedition boat where we've changed and removed a lot of those luxuries. The snack locker used to have a microwave there. Well, whenever, who needs a microwave when you're offshore? I mean, it's much better to have cookies and candy and stuff easily accessible. Who needs push-button toilets? <laughs> yeah, really. <Hey. laughs> Some of us. <laughs> so where to go now? Ben, I guess um, we met your parents up this way. When was that, Mia? 2011, when we were going across the Atlantic on Arcturus. There's a lot of little connections here. Arcturus was a 1966 Allied Seabreeze y'all. We met your parents who were traveling with the OCC, I think. And I remember distinctly thinking, we met them in St. Pierre. That was our last stop before going to Ireland. And I remember thinking like, well, here's this is cool. There's a whole bunch of other cruising boats up here, but they were all going the other direction. We were the only ones going across the Atlantic. And I was like, shit, what do they know that I don't know? And this was my our first major ocean crossing. Everyone was going back home and we were going into the... To the new for us, that was pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was yeah. disconcerting because it's it's the classic group herd mentality. They're all going one way, we're going the other way. What what do I what am I missing here? So we met your parents then, and um and I I'm not sure how you I guess how you discovered us, but you had a similar boat, and and uh, here we are now eight years later. So so give us some of your background. Yeah, well I remember talking to my folks, and they said, oh, there's this great young couple. My dad. I remember specifically my dad saying, "Oh, I'm so impressed with what Andy's doing with the business." And this was, I mean, this is he had he had met you, yeah, and then some sub- subsequent years, and um, yeah, you should really meet him at the boat show. I think they're going to be there this year. So I, you know, started following what you guys were doing, and then started listening to the podcast, and um, I started, you know, following you before I had met Lauren, I believe. And then, you know, we uh, started talking about sailing more, and I just was thinking of ways that I could introduce Lauren to sailing. And the more and more I thought about how to how to introduce her to blue water sailing and ocean passages, it just made a lot of sense. I liked the style and the ethos, um, the way you approached it, and I thought, hmm, that would be really cool to do a trip together with Andy and Mia and um, it felt safe but at the same time challenging and uh, I think I think it worked out I think you, uh, Lauren seems to have enjoyed it so I I was pretty confident that I would I love going to sea I love being on boats and uh, uh, so yeah and you're similar to me. You grew up sailing on the Chesapeake, right? Yeah. So I grew up sailing. Uh, you, my parents are both sailors. They've been cruising since the 60s. My dad um, has many miles both in the Pacific and, and Atlantic, and, and they've been cruising a, a Hallberg Rossi 352, which is what you met them on for mm, the past 20 years or so. Um, and I grew up sailing on that boat and then other smaller boats on the Chesapeake. Um, and for me, it was just something that, seemed natural it's just my brother and i that's what we did on the weekends yeah we'd, after same, the soccer same game, story you know, yeah we'd go down to the boat spend the weekend on the boat and uh it's something i've always known that i wanted to do um keep sailing i would beg my parents when we were younger to take us out of school and let's go extended cruising and 
that never happened. So when I got old enough, I bought my own an, an Allied Looters, uh, very similar to your Arcturus, uh, your first boat, and and went cruising myself in the Caribbean. What was the motivation to do? And how, first of all, how old were you when you did that? So I was um, 27, 28 when I did that. Was the was uh, Robin Lee Graham's book huge yeah because it's the same he had the huge. same boat toward the second half of his so trip, i remember anyway. reading that book and dove. at dove and I, he was 16 or something when he set off mm-hmm. yeah something like that and i think i remember thinking as i approached that age all right if i can do this i, I got to do it before <laughs> before i turned the age that robin lee graham was but that, that didn't happen but um no that book was a huge inspiration for me, uh, funny enough, I don't think I realized until after I'd bought the looters that it was the same boat that he had. I think okay. he had two boats. He did. He, he had a, t- I forget what his first one was, a 24 foot. Yeah. Uh, a, like a Bill Lapworth 24, I think. Sim- same designers at Cal 40. Yeah. Think. And then he had a looters 33. Right. Because I, I forget what happened to the first one. It, it, lost it or something first one yeah i don't remember either but and then he was getting sponsorship from national geographic right. and they helped him finance the looters and then so he could complete his circumnavigation so what was your like you were 27 what was the i'm always trying to find the the lightning bolt moment like yeah. what was it that because everybody has these dreams and yeah. aspirations and only a very small percentage of us follow through on them so what made you different it was something that i knew that i wanted to do but what was different was I was, I got an opportunity to work for a little bit in uh, the Saints, just south south of Guadalupe. Uh, actually, my parents had been cruising. They randomly met a gentleman who had a shop there, and he wanted a website. And they said, "Ah, oh, you should talk to my son." And anyway, I ended up living down there for a couple of months. A little by the water, I would look out and I would see these boats come down and anchor, and then take off and. That, it really dawned on me then. I remember this instant thinking, if I, you know, if I did this web stuff for a little bit more, this computer work, I could probably save enough money and get a cheap boat and sail back down here. Well, Saints is a magical place yeah. too. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, and that's what it, that's what it hit me. So I moved. Back. I was living in Seattle at the time. I moved back. I saved some more money. Moved back to the East Coast because I knew I, the boats, the kind of boats I was looking for. There were just more of them on the east coast mm-hmm. and end up finding the looters in in mobile alabama of all places did you have to change your lifestyle in order to save for a boat and like practically speaking how did you do that how did you make ends meet because that's the big question that people always want to know yeah um i mean i was young so i didn't have a lot of expenses expenses but i definitely worked towards that goal so it was yeah living not doing big trips and saving. I mean, I was definitely doing a job with the end in mind of saving enough. And what did you go to school for? Theater. Theater. Theater and um, English and moved to LA to be an actor, then up to Seattle where I had some friends starting a theater company and then just fell into, uh, it was 1997 and... Everybody wanted a website. So I started working at Microsoft, <laughs> having built one web page for, for this, the first web page for a small island in the Caribbean, in Les Saints. And um, you worked there for five years and then bought a boat. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So 
what were your plans when you bought this boat and like what was the were you thinking long term like hey i'm gonna take a year and do this or i'm just gonna go for it and see what happens how, how did you develop what ended up and, and what ended up happening well i mean i think i was thinking of the the year because of the hurricane season getting going down and then then coming back to the east coast um but if the money had held out i would have loved to have kept going um I had a girlfriend who, an Australian girlfriend who joined me, and uh, there was a lot of work to convince her to fly over and sail with somebody she didn't. You know gotta all tell. That well, ex- excuse us, Lauren, but you gotta tell the story of this the of the tra- of the the road trip. Like the whole, you told me that the other night when we were sailing. Yeah. And it's a really cool story. It, it's a pretty cool story. So actually, it's all started here in Nova Scotia because I was up cruising with my folks, and they we just sailed into Lunenburg. And then we sailed up to Halifax, and I was taking the ferry back from Yarmouth to Maine. Um, I think it's about a 12-hour ferry ride. It's a a long ride. Across the Gulf of Maine. And um, I'm on the boat, and there are these two cute Australian girls. And I thought these 12 hours are going to go a lot faster if I make friends with these two Australian girls. And so we're chatting the whole time, and we get into port, and we're going through customs, and the line is taking forever. And it's, it's 11 o'clock. Then it's 12 o'clock. And they're, they're, they're holed up for some reason. They're Australian passports. They're giving them a lot of trouble coming back into the United States. And by the time we get through, there are, there's one hotel room left. So being the gentleman that I am, I say, well, <laughs> sure, I'll share a hotel room with the, with the Australian, <laughs> cute Australian girls. Um, I was a complete gentleman. I had to get up early the next morning and fly off, um, fly back to dc i think is where i was living at the time and uh but we stayed in touch and uh i no i was so i was living in seattle i flew back to seattle and so i stayed in touch and we emailed and i i knew i was going to drive across the country again i thought hey i could do this alone or i could do it with company so out of the blue i emailed miranda i said hey you wanna any chance you want to drive across the country with me and she said okay so we got to know each other driving for two weeks across the United States, having a great time. And um, yeah, then just led to talking about future travel. So when I bought a boat, we uh, talked about sailing together. And she had never been offshore. We go down the bay. Um, we put off from North Carolina, uh, from Cape Fear, and head for the Virgins. And she was a trooper. She was amazing. Um, of course, when we made landfall on the Virgins, she was ready to make a phone call and fly home because she, it was just all so overwhelming to her. But I said, no, the best part is coming. We haven't done any snorkeling yet. Hold on. <laughs> and then she loved it by the end of the year. So. And where, so the end of the year was the end of where, where did you wind up? So we sailed all the way, island hopped all the way down. We spent some time again in the Saints, made a little bit of money there working for the same guy. Uh, got down to Venezuela. We did Carnival in Trinidad and, uh, and then worked our way back up and ended back in Annapolis. And it was fabulous. It was really, really great. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. So, Lauren. And the- like one, one small addendum there. Sure. Sorry to interrupt you. But no, no. That's actually how I got into my line of work, which is journalism. Because while I was sailing, I started to write articles okay. for different magazines. And I thought, hmm somebody's actually going to pay me to travel and write. This is pretty cool. So when I got home, then I went back to school for journalism. That's a great, I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna come back to that. But Lauren, I have a sensitive question to ask you. Is it, are you like 
uneasy that he's had all these sailing adventures with someone else and that now you're new to the sailing game or is that have you not thought about that i hadn't really thought about it um because different chapters of life are different i'm really glad that experience was clearly really foundational for you and the way that you talk about it it was i think it really helped to define you as a person and as an adult and uh uh i mean it sounds amazing and i think you know if we manage to create some sort of sailing adventure for ourselves with our family uh i mean one of the things that we talk about pretty often is that it, this this thing that we're starting to imagine together if we get to do it it's going to feel very different for him with mm. two small children he, yeah that i was going to ask <laughs> than it what did is, with what a is, girlfriend when he was in his 20s yeah yeah and the goal is to take your kids like what what is the goal i guess uh it's it's constantly in in motion and evolution but um i think we both uh since long before we had kids have dreamed of taking children traveling and and giving them a real a real sense of different places in the world that's that's long term that's not you know a week or two um and i had always imagined before i met ben that that would be on land <laughs> yeah but uh but the more we talk about it i mean his dream is doing that on a boat um and we talked a lot about we live in san francisco and we've talked a lot about um you know taking kids around the pacific in some form tons of places I've always wanted to explore there. Um, and there's uh, right now where I would say we're in the dreaming and beginning to plan stage. Um, uh, so we've, we've thought about all different itineraries, but, and so many things will have to line up for us to be able to do that, that we're trying not to get attached to any one particular plan. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It has to but, evolve. um, yeah, we're thinking uh, the right, uh, I mean, we have two little girls, they're five and two, um, we're thinking there's probably a sweet spot between when they can be are old enough to be helpful, but still young enough that they want to hang out with us. And yeah, yeah. That that's probably mm -hmm. like six and nine or seven and ten. We were my sister and I were seven and nine when we left, eight and ten when we got back. And I I've said this many times before, but that's some of the first memories I have as a as like a person because my childhood was very stable. We lived in the same house. Every summer was sort of the same thing. And that was so different from the 10 years before that, that it really, really stuck with me. And, and I think you're right. It was a perfect age because I don't even remember caring that we left school and friends and everything. And that was all there when we got back. And so I think that's a very good age. It's a good reminder, I think, especially for kids. I didn't learn this so much later in life, but so much of what keeps you from going off on an adventure or doing anything that is your version of this is that you're scared of what you'll miss back home. Yeah. And you miss things back home, no question. Yeah. Um, but but once you do something similar once or twice, you realize that you come home and every and, and things are still humming along. That's and right. a lot yeah. of it you can just fall back into even if it's a little different. That's very true. Do you have any similar, like, did you did you have any adventures in your life that you sort of dropped everything and, and went to pursue, not sailing-wise, but otherwise? Um, I had a very stable childhood my parents still live in the house i grew up in yeah my um, parent, my dad as well uh and our adventures were like camping in yeah. local state parks and that yeah. felt wonderfully adventurous you know when you're little you don't yeah. know uh and those were really wonderful times uh but i i didn't i didn't do anything 
that like this when I was young. But even um, as an adult, as an adult, as, a, as an adult in my twenties, when I got out of college, I was desperate to do anything that wasn't school. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I spent the first year out of college on my own in Central America, um, working for a nonprofit that did economic development stuff, which basically was a way to get myself out in the middle of nowhere exploring. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the reason I asked the question is, um, my next question is, does having had those experiences make it easier, easier for both of you to envision doing something like that again? Like it's not such a scary, I, I assume it's not such a scary leap. Do you think that's part of it? It is for me, for yeah. sure. Um, I mean, the, the big, if I were to be envisioning doing something like this big trip in the Pacific just with us, I think it would be very easy to imagine and frankly to do. The, the, the big difference is obviously that we're considering bringing small people with us. Yeah. And there's just an entirely new level of, for me, uh, things I need to come to terms with in terms of responsibility and decisions I'll be making on behalf of 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 my kids that just didn't exist in any form in in any other time in my life when I was thinking about going and doing something wild. Yeah. It's as Lauren mentioned before, she constantly reminds me, and I constantly remind myself that it's going to be completely different sailing with two small children than it was cruising on my own when I was mm. younger. Um, and interestingly. I've thought about that a lot during this trip, watching the two of you in terms of how you relate to the crew. Obviously different than a parent-child relationship. But Not just, so different. You guys are always <laughs> big children. <laughs> We're just big children. But how you allow the crew or whether children, whoever, learn without learn for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not showing them everything or doing yeah. it for them. And that, that I've really reflected on that a lot over this passage. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. You guys are really good at that. I don't, I don't know if that's something you really, I'm sure it's something that you work on and that is a process, but it's, it's a real skill for both of you. I think. It's a fine line between letting people making, make mistakes without letting them hurt themselves or break something. It's a or bend a stanchion. Very fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up. You brought it up. I won't tell the story. Um, yeah, I, get, I think, weirdly enough, I actually learned that style of teaching. I took a teaching English as a foreign language course in Prague for a month, right when we first met. My first moved to Sweden, and I was like, what the hell am I going to do in Sweden? Well... I can teach English. Well, I didn't realize that everyone already speaks English in Sweden, so there's not a lot of English teaching jobs. But I went to Prague anyway, and I took this one-month class, and they taught um, a teaching method where you basically, you're eliciting the answers out of people. So you have a group of people, and I, we, we didn't get to do this. We didn't talk about Celestial on this trip because it was either stormy or foggy. We had one nice sunny day, and it just didn't come up. But when I give my Celestial lessons, it's like, you know, I, I'll... It, with their six people, six crew, and I'll, I'll introduce the topic and I'll just start asking questions. And inevitably, someone in the group will be able to come up with the answer and then everybody kind of gets it. And when you, when you teach in such a way that you are getting the students to teach themselves, it sticks immediately. Nobody remembers anything you tell them, but if you, if you ask the right questions that lead them to the answer, then that's it. They know it. You only have to get there once. And they know the answer. Um, and that's something that I have 
consciously developed, but I got it from this teaching English as a foreign language thing. And that's been one of the most fun things for me to do as a, you know, running these trips is bring in ideas that I've learned elsewhere. We were talking about books the other day. I, I like reading nonfiction. And there's always something you can learn from a different field that then I can apply back to here. And I really enjoy that sort of mental I don't know what you want to call it. Synthesis the, of all these yeah, different yeah, yeah. ideas. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So I guess Ben, you said you were con trying to convince your parents to take you guys cruising. Yeah. It sounds like they've done so many cool adventures. I need to have them on the podcast, but My why do you got some good both of them have good stories. Why do you think they didn't do it? Life. In what way? Uh, careers, um the fear of leaving things behind. I, it was a delicate balance and, and they've managed to balance quite well living in the same house for nearly 50 years, having a community that they of friends in that neighborhood that they love. Um, yet being off sailing a lot. And um, I think they thought it was important for us to have that stability. Um, and I think it's something that every family has to weigh for, for every, um, child. Um, it'd be a really interesting question to put to them. Um, I know that one of the things that I think about a lot when it comes to our, we both think about is our parents and the health of our parents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's the other side of this equation. Yeah. And it's huge. And so I think they were dealing with that. They mm -hmm. were dealing with their parents being sick and eventually dying and, um, I think the timing just didn't work out. Yeah. That's why I am always hesitant. I've never, you know, wanted you know, to say, oh, I'm going to go off sailing around the world or even we're going to go off cruising. It's it's a goal. It's something yeah. we're working towards. Yep. And well, there's a, we talked, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. It first came up, I think, when I interviewed Paul and Cheryl Shard a couple of years ago, where how it, it's a fine line between vocalizing your goals so that because it's you know it's very true when you write something down and get it out in the world it's 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 a better incentive to make it happen but then also not not being too brash in what you say because then if it's if you don't meet it you feel like you failed right but it's a, so that's a really tricky line to balance how much do you say you want to do and can you say okay I'm, i want to do this but it, you know it's an evolution instead of a failure right yeah it's uh we're at a point now where we vocalized it to each other and we feel confident that this is where we're heading and that if all the pieces line up, it will happen. Yeah. And that's exciting, but also scary because now you have that goal in your sight. It's just jumping over the hurdles to get there. Yeah. Well, and it's back to the question I asked in the beginning. It's taking the leap. There's a lot of people write stuff down and not a lot of people follow through with it. So what... You know, I guess if there's any theme to this podcast overall, it's how, what is that lightning bolt that makes you act as opposed to just dream? That's a great question. For me, it's just been building, building for years, and it's um, f finding the right partner with whom to do it, and realizing that we can financially make it happen. Mm -hmm. Um. In it, for I, looking back on my first cruising experience, it feels like a lightning bolt. But looking forward, it feels more like putting puzzle pieces together, and that aligning the right all 
building this foundation that will lead me somewhere. It will be very interesting to talk to you guys, you know, in a few years when this all comes together and see like go back and listen to this and then say, okay, how did it actually happen? Because it's yeah. all theoretical at this right. point. Right. Yeah. But you you know, it's it's fun to see you guys taking the first steps. You mentioned your journalism career thing. Um how did that come together? And you guys are both journalists, right? Lauren, you too? Yeah. We were met you a at journalist a party before? full of journalists. You did, okay. Where? <laughs> Uh, in Washington, D.C., we were both working there. Ben was working for National Geographic. I was working for the Washington Post. Um, uh, it was a party full of all sorts of interesting people in the journalism world. And um, it was a particularly good night because I went there with a friend and then we left the party and uh, Much went to, my to a bar. <laughs> we went to a bar and she met her husband. No oh, way. Yep. Wow. So it was a really good night. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we have, did you we go have to that shared love. Did you of, go to school for that? I didn't. Uh, I have always loved to write and um, took a lot of classes in that in college, um, but I was an economics major, and uh, so I, I like lots of different things. Um, but I ended, up, um, I ended up in a journalism job through longer story. Um, I moved to China and started working as a journalist, and okay. that was uh, 2005, so it was still a time when there were... Um, more stories to be told than people telling them in English than hmm. there. Um, a little different now, but yeah, she had just gotten back from China, and I overheard this beautiful girl at a party talking about how she was a journalist in China, and I thought, yeah, I want to get to know know this woman. So yeah, I was we were working across the street from each other, and but journalism is an amazing foundation from which to imagine adventures in your life because it. it it's this it's a it's a career it's a line of work but it's also it sounds silly but it's a state of mind i mean i, I don't I work exactly as a journalist anymore yeah. but i will always see myself as one and it's a it's a license to go places and act on your curiosity and you 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 just you always have questions and you always feel like you should and can ask them it gives you a purpose yeah for, for especially when you relate it to travel it's like and this is the reason you, you and I were talking about this the other day. This is the reason I started the podcast. I, what excuse do I have to call up German Freers who designed the boat we're sitting on? He wouldn't otherwise talk on the phone for an hour with me. But if you put a purpose behind it, it's all of a sudden a thing. But it really is very selfish in that regard because I got him on the phone for an hour. Right. You can and, knock on any door yeah. and just say, hey, I got some questions. And I've always said, you know, me and I've always needed, I don't see us as typical cruisers where. We just bop from port to port, and and I, maybe that isn't maybe that's a stereotype that doesn't exist. But I need to do something, and and I and I, I totally get what you're saying with the journalism thing. I, I guess Ben, how did you you started writing? I get I presume for sailing publications. Yeah, or yeah. How do you get from that? There's a that's a big leap to go from there to National Geographic. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't direct. Not a straight I, line. I went back to school for journalism. I worked okay. as a reporter on Capitol Hill in public radio for quite a while. Um, and then just, I heard that National Geographic was looking for somebody to start a radio show and uh, hounded the uh, person who was hiring for that for two years and got my foot in the door there and and produced radio and television there for, for nearly five years, which was fabulous. Wow. Um, got to meet all kinds of amazing explorers and adventurers people coming back from all over the world um and learned a lot about how to tell that kind of story so uh yeah 
it, it the same same as with Lauren it it's a it's an excuse it's a way of thinking it's an excuse to talk to people and um I finally w- was inspired by you Andy and your podcast to start doing the same in my own backyard I moved we moved to San Francisco Lauren's hometown about five years ago and it was a whole new I'm an East Coast sailor I grew up sailing in the bay I don't know San Francisco I don't know the people I don't really know the water so I thought, wow how can I learn about this well I can talk to people what better way to do that than just start a podcast and start asking people about it so that's what I did and, hmm. uh, and largely inspired by you that's cool and I think we're going to record one for your we show will. very soon so. here yeah. Is it your voice that's on the beginning of his show? Isn't there a woman's voice in the beginning of your show? Not that I know of. <laughs> I but we could a, start. Who am I uh, thinking of? You're thinking of the Ocean Sailing Podcast. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That's all right. Shows you how many episodes of your show I've listened to. <laughs> Maybe my voice should be on the beginning. Yeah, I think of it video. should, yeah. <laughs> I've begged Mia to be on the intro for this show, and finally, after like 150 episodes, probably more than 200, you started doing the credits. That's something. It's something. It's, it's good. The They're step. great. Yeah. We have a lot of fun recording them. There's a lot of outtakes, which I'm not allowed to use. <laughs> <laughs> Love hearing your voice on the podcast, Mia. Yep. Yeah. Oh, the, the our big uh, on, on Daniel. Oh, Daniel's there they go. Super the yacht super is yacht leaving. is exiting the harbor. Yeah. Andy, can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, thinking about your yeah the what we were. Oh. Go, <laughs> go blow the horn. Go blow the horn. Hang on. <laughs> It's the button that says horn at the at the thing. Give him give him a honk. <laughs> this is great. So Mia is just climbing outside to blow the horn to salute Daniel. Our f- yeah, it's Foghorn. Ooh. That <laughs> <laughs> was something. That was something. We'll see how that sounds. Hmm. Fire away. Uh. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about setting goals. Yeah. The difference between goals and dreams. Mm-hmm. So you've got a tattoo there on your wrist that says, hold fast to your dreams that I've been looking at all week. Did I tell you the story about that? No. This is a good one. I'm sure I've told it on the podcast before, but the the handwriting, it's my mom's handwriting, and she died in 2012. She had brain cancer, and she wrote a note to me. I, I like you said the other day, I was telling you about the rings, and you're like, oh, you guys have a story for everything. So here's another one. The she When I first met Mia in 2006... I went off backpacking for two months in New Zealand and my mom had written me a little going away card, like just a card that she stuck in my backpack and I opened up, I think when I was on the plane and I probably have it. I'll I'll read it to you. I'll read it on the podcast sometime. But but one of the lines in there was, you know, she said something about being proud of my sister and I, I was only 22 at the time. And then she said, you know, hold fast to your dreams and never look back something. And then she was a little, little poem that she quoted and uh, that, you know, that just stuck with me. And then, of course, hold fast is a, a, the old sailor tattoo was to get hold fast on your knuckles. And the old timey tall ship sailors would do that as they're climbing the rigging. They re- literally remember not to let go. So I was like, wow, that's really cool. And it never occurred to me at the time that she had that nautical sort of phrase in there. Um, and I found this note thing. And, and when I this was my fourth tattoo, I think. And I was like, that's a really cool one to have. So I scanned it. It's in her handwriting. My tattoo artist kind of traced it. So that's the that's the story to that. And my mom was was truly the dreamer philosopher in our family. And I tell this story all the time. But the two pieces of advice I got from my parents, which have basically been the foundation for the way we do everything, my mom was the philosopher, and she was always, you know, 
her piece of advice was do what you love and the money will, will follow. And then my dad always said, he was the more practical one. He always said, whatever you do, be the best at it and you will always be successful. So you put those two things together and it's really powerful. And that's been the foundation for all the things we do is do it, do the, be the best and do it with passion. And I can't, you know, I'm inherently lazy. I can't do something unless I am passionate about it. And that it's been a, been a good combination. It shows. Yeah. Thank you. Is one of you the philosopher and one of you the practical? You can't guess by now. <laughs> She's the practical one. I'm the need philosopher. That. Need, that. need a combo. Need the combo. It is, it is true. You need the combo. Strong team. I have a yeah. question about that too. What? This is your question, Andy. Turned back on you and your family. What allowed your parents? What was it? What made the difference that they took you and your sister cruising? My parents went cruising in 1979 when they, before kids, when they were, my dad was 28 or 29, my mom was 30 or something, and they went just down down the ICW to the Bahamas. None of this, my dad ne really never got into this ocean sailing until I did, but they did down the ICW, spent the winter in the Bahamas, and I think as they tell it, they, they just saw other families with kids, and I think, I don't think they thought they would have kids. And then they got back from that trip and all their friends, you know, they had a very, they still live in the same town as their friends they had when they were growing up in high school and stuff. And all their friends started having kids and sort of, I can see it now, like we're in the similar situation. We're the last of our friends that don't have kids except for one or two people. Um, and you can see how that changes your outlook on things. And we start talking about having kids and stuff. So I think they just sort of got swept up in it. We're like, all right, well, our friends are having kids. That's what we're going to do. And, and they remembered seeing sailing families with kids then and they're like this would be something that we should do with our kids and they did that in yeah when i was took us out of fourth grade my sister i was in fourth grade my sister was in second and that was the that's what we did yeah so it was i mean i credit that for the reason that we do this and same thing my sister has followed my mom's advice she's a teacher for um kids with learning disabilities and like that's that's her th i'll tell you we can talk more about this when we when we we, we should switch gears we now should, maybe we should but uh, let, let's wrap this up with you guys first. Um, how, I don't know, I don't know how to finish this, but I guess like, how did you, how does having done this trip, I don't want to make this about this trip, but how does having done an offshore passage together, has it changed at all the way you think, this is more a question for you, Lauren, because I know, Ben, you were probably going to do this one way or another anyway. Um, how, how has it changed? <laughs> Has it changed your outlook? I and mean, maybe it's too soon to tell. You're still here on the boat. I was excited about the idea before I came, and I'm still excited about it. Yeah, um, good. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I had a lot of questions about what it would be like before I did it, but they were smaller. They were it's a nerd, nerd idea, but they were like hypotheses that I wanted to test. Like... Mm -hmm. um, you know, will I get over being seasick and how, how will I ever be able to sit here and read a book? Um, yes. Okay. Well, then, I, then, then I can, I needed to know like 10 things that I could help, that would help me imagine what this life would be like. Yeah. And this has really helped me do that. Um, and I would say it's made me more excited about it. Like I, they were all, all, a lot of things that I just, I was like, how is that going to work? How am I going to live 
in this environment. And when I couldn't imagine that, it was very hard to imagine and commit to a larger, sure. this larger idea. Yeah. And now I don't have to imagine them. I can be like, well, yep, I did that for a week and here's how it felt. And I, you know, here's the good, here's the bad. And, and I can evaluate that now. That's that's cool. And Ben, I will make this about the boat specifically. Yeah. You were concerned that this boat was going to be too big because you had originally signed up when we still had the, well, we still have the 48, but when this trip was supposed to be on that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm concerned now I have to buy my wife a 59-foot boat. <laughs> uh, no. Um, you no, know, my initial concern was we'd signed up on Isbjorn's smaller boat, and you know the boat we would take cruising is a 35-foot boat. It just seems farther away from what the reality would be. I, I had to add, I, I shared that concern when we first looked at getting this boat, but it didn't stop me. Yeah. And I have to say two things. Um this boat is a real thrill to sail it was a joy a joy ride and it was you know, a joy being aboard her and i have a new appreciation for performance cruisers um i've done cruising mostly on boats that go you know max six knots it's nice to sail at eight and nine ten knots um but just the comfort you don't have to sacrifice all of the comfort for for the performance there's there's you know, obviously everything is a trade-off um but back to the size um more was the same than was different yeah yeah that's a great way to put it yeah yeah there's definitely you know every time i walked back from the bow and i wow i'm not back to the cockpit yet i have to keep <laughs> walking or just i said this morning when we we're getting off the dinghy you know there's there's two companion ways here and i'm always tripped up by the first one because i'm like oh yeah though that's the no oh that's right i have to walk forward to the second companion way it's that big so just little things like that that you have to get used to and i'm sure you get used to them quickly but um yeah more is the same than different it's just a big dinghy just a big dinghy <laughs> I, it's a joke but it's also real it's also yeah. true yeah it's true to watch me as scramble up the mast and grab the halyard you know it's just a few more steps, yes, but you, it's the same. Still the same thing. Still the same thing. Does the peanut gallery have any final questions here before we wrap this up? Just uh, super inspiring. Uh, hang on. It's just really inspiring to see all of you, to just uh, sail with you two, because it's, you know, you, you listen to you on the podcast, and then, like, you're in the middle of the night, and you pop your head out, and you're like, you're good? We're like, we're good. You're like, all right, I'm going back to sleep. And that's, that's really cool. Uh, and to meet new people and people with families trying to make goals and... Uh, get get to a place where you can you know have those and fulfill your you, you know all the things we think about and talk about and I'm sure all the people that listen you know we have similar aspirations so it's really cool I have a question for Mia when are you publishing your cookbook oh. that, that food was amazing it's, I was out. Like, it's out it's, it's, it's simple but it's so delicious oh man thank you one day it's coming it's in the head now <laughs> we've got four we've got four months off next winter it's happening then okay i'll try <laughs> cool well, hey this has been awesome and uh i'm excited to to turn the tables here and allow you to run the show for the next one here Definitely. and, uh, and I'll, I'll put i'll plug your podcast in the beginning of this so. great thank you this has been a joy thanks lauren thank for participating and thanks mia for participating thank you cool. and mark and ruslan we I've, i have to say here at the end here Ruslan, we've been collecting stuffed animals on the boat, and we we can't buy them ourselves. Crew have been buying them for us. So Ruslan thoughtfully bought us a moose that has a sweater that says Nova Scotia. So, of course, Lauren and I, in the same instant the other day, said, oh, his name's going to be Mooselon. Yes. <laughs> so now we have Mooselon the moose on board. So thank you 
for the moose, Ruslan. <laughs> All right. Hope you enjoyed that. And if you don't already listen to Andy's podcast, On the Wind, do check it out. He has great guests. He's a really good interviewer, as you just heard. And Andy also has a second podcast called How I Think About Sailing. He posts those a little less frequently, but they're always really interesting and informative because, well, he talks about just what the title says, how he thinks about sailing. And Andy thinks about sailing a lot, so he has some really helpful thoughts on the subject. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I really hope you enjoy the show. And if you do, I'd love to hear from you. The show's a labor of love, so if you enjoy it, leave a comment, please, on iTunes. Or better yet, reach out to me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. I love it when people do. In fact, just today, my wife and I met a fantastic couple, Owen and Stephanie, who are planning on going cruising with their kids, and it's because they heard this very interview on Andy's podcast, On the Wind. Owen reached out to me via email. He doesn't live very far from us, and we started chatting. He invited us to go over to their place for a summer barbecue today, and while the kids ran around, we talked about boats and cruising plans. It was, it was a lot of fun. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, to learn and to make connections within the sailing community. So don't be shy. That's it for this week. I'm your host and producer, Ben Shaw. Until next time, smooth sailing. <laughs>